morning, Westgate. How's everybody doing? Are you ready to worship? Yeah, we're going to learn a new song. How's that sound? So there's still still a mixed bag. The first service, it was like some people were like, yeah. Other people didn't say anything. So I don't know. You want to learn a new song? Okay, great. The song's all about being made alive in Christ, and it is called Made Alive. Will you, let's, let's stand as I read this scripture together. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen? Amen.
guys may have a seat. Good morning, church family. It is so great to see you as we worship Jesus together and uh, just keep taking steps closer to who he is and knowing him more. My name is Julianne. I work here doing outreach and missions, and I really love this church. I've been here, I grew up here, and I've been on staff the last 11 years and have just seen so many people uh, get to grow as a church and their understanding of who Jesus is as a community and then reach our neighbors and the nations. As you came in, we have um, the sermon notes are out on our tables and information about different things going on. If you had a chance to pick that up, great. If not, great. We can also uh, have you access um, all the information on the app. The Westgate Chapel app is a great way to figure out what's going on as well as the sermon notes, um, ways to connect and serving and more. And um, we also have, on for our live stream friends, you can do this as well. We have our Connect card. This is located in the pew in front of you and also online. There's a digital version, and this is something that we use uh, to, to communicate with people, to connect. So if you're ready to connect in a new way or a different way, we have information about life groups, kids' ministry, serving, a relationship with Jesus, baptism. You can click that box on the back check it if you're in real life. And that's something you can drop in our offering buckets that will be passed later in the service. Or if you're a guest and ready to connect, we'd love for you to take the connect card out to our main lobby where we have a team of um, welcomers ready to answer questions, pray with you, show you the church, whatever. And also um, we have a small gift for you. So that's our connect card. Those are ways to kind of figure out what's going on at Westgate Chapel. And speaking of what's going on at Westgate Chapel, we are going to start talking about Christmas. And um, I was, I've already heard people talking about Christmas lights, decorations, trees, etc. And um, I was thinking this last week as I was sitting in our mom life ministry with a room full of moms. And we were intentional, challenged to really figure out our intentional yeses and nos. What are the core values that drive what we do? Because We can often get overwhelmed or feel crowded out in the Christmas season, right? There are so many different opportunities and voices and noises. And um, I even heard one of our young adults this week. He said, oh, Christmas, I associate with stress. I am a Scrooge. And I was thinking about how real that is. Um, And as David and I are working through intentionality as parents, uh, saying yeses and nos, we as a church are also looking through the lens of what are our core values And at the end of the Christmas season, where do we want to be? And so Westgate's mission is to grow with Jesus together, uh, engage in community with one another, and then reach our neighbors and the nations. We want to show and share God's love. We want to show and share the gospel. And so with that lens is how we have built Westgate's intentional Christmas calendar. So they're in your sermon notes or on the app, you can kind of see where we're headed. And um, I'm going to sh- just highlight a couple things. So as you are praying over these next couple weeks, interacting with your neighbors, coworkers, classmates, etc., with your life group, you can figure out what your yeses and nos are going to be. So at the end of the Christmas season, you can say, I worshiped well. I spent time with Jesus. I connected with the people that the Lord has put in my life. The first thing I'm going to highlight is the Tis the Season sermon series. So we're meeting every Sunday morning here, uh, two services, 
Some will be together Sundays or not. Those are marked out here. But that really is a space for us to come worship together and, again, take our next steps. So we'll be studying the Bible each week uh, and really leaning into this Advent season. And that is a place we're excited for you to come and also a place you can invite your friends. Another place uh, for that is our Christmas Eve services. So the 23rd at 7 p.m. and the 24th at 4 p.m., we will be having our special Christmas Eve service in here. Um, We have our layers of, it's all about Jesus. He's the reason we're celebrating, as well as some traditions like our candle lighting service that is just a place for us to really exhale and be with God, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what it's all about. So we are excited for you to come pick one of those to come and also again a great opportunity for your family to come guests visiting um, maybe someone in your circle would like to come experience and worship with us so that's our christmas eve services a couple other special events that we have again intentionally developed and prayed over is our christmas on wilford event um who here has been to Christmas on Wilford? Woo woo! Yes. So this is a big party. It's our fourth year we've tried this event of having a space where we as a church are really doing our church Christmas party. Um, here's some pictures. We always have live music. There's our brass quartet, which is awesome. Games, snacks, photo booth, a Christmas movie, um, and a place to reflect on Jesus as well. And so there's not like a set program. It's an open house party, but we invite you to come and serve as a life group or as a family, and then also attend one shift, serve one shift. And this is just, again, a party to welcome the people in our circles that want to experience this place as we celebrate Jesus. It's super fun. So that's our Christmas on Wilford party on December 9th in the evening. And I hope it's in all your calendars and invite some people to that. And that is a place where we will also be bringing donations. So we have partners in our community that we love working with as they show and share the gospel. And we have an opportunity to bless their ministry. So we will be collecting toys for, and a toy and hat and mittens for uh, the kids at that neighborhood church, 70 of the kids that are attending on Tuesday evenings, as well as supporting the families that go to the school. So you can find more information about that. It's a little different this year. You can bring your toys to Christmas on Milford for that or hats and mittens. We'll be collecting hats and mittens for the kids at Adora Elementary, international students at UT, and then food drive. And as you guys, we love doing this together. We have also learned that people in our community that aren't even, that aren't Christ followers still made in God's image love to do good around Christmas. They love to uh, help others in need. And so this is a great opportunity to invite a neighbor to maybe go collect canned foods together or things like that to be able to, um, yeah, act out the way that God made us to do good at Christmas. The other thing is we always have our neighboring planning guide and opportunities. So we have many different ways for us to um, support these three things, growing with Jesus, engaging in community, and um, reaching our neighbors in the nation. So there's a table out here. Heather Franz will be there uh, to talk about Blessed Child or any of these events. If you want to grab invites to share at your Thanksgiving with your family, etc. We would just love for you to pray and lean in and what this Christmas is going to look like and that we intentionally keep Jesus the big deal. So let me pray real fast for us as we go. God, thank you for Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us, it's the best. It has changed my life and I thank you for that. 
And I just pray as there are many opportunities around Christmas and lots of noise and yeses and noes that you'll just give us wisdom. Help us to engage with you first and foremost and um, figure out what it looks like to be uh, just intentional with our Christmas season. May we not sit in the stress of it, um, but sit in the celebration and worship you first and foremost. We thank you that we get to do it together for your glory, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, one other thing is you guys know that it is Veterans Day weekend. And so I just want to take a moment. If you are a veteran in our church would, here today, would you stand? We'd love to see who has served in our military in some way. Thank you. Thank you. Please keep standing. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, there are many in our church that this is part of the story that God is writing in their lives. And... Um, I just love, as we are going into our time of being great, if you saw somebody stand or not, just go welcome someone new and thank you to say thank you to those that have uh, served for us. Let's go.
about that. Think about those words. God calls you his children. He calls us his sons and his daughters. Y'all, that's the God of the universe calls each of us his sons and daughters. Sing this together. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. Sing this truth. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, That's right. not against me. Amen. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Oh, I am who you say I am. Yes, I am who you say I am. when we um, come into this place of community and what a gift it is to worship together like this. Um, I do not take this for granted. I hope that you don't either. But I think sometimes when we're in this room, it's so much easier to believe the words that we're saying. And then we leave and we, um, I think, sometimes maybe get defined by our roles that we play every day. Maybe it's um, teacher or student or office manager or um, name a profession or, or how people see us or maybe even the circumstances that we're walking through, whether that's grieving child or someone fighting an illness, those become, I think, our identity throughout the week. Then we come here, right, and we can say, I am a child of God. I am who you say I am. But then we step out of these doors back into our regular days, our regular life, and I think it's a little bit harder. And I think the only way we fix that is by making sure that we are rightfully enthroning Christ on our heart on the throne of our heart so that all those other labels, we lay those at his feet because he's the only one that's worthy. And so as we continue in worship this morning, I pray that the Lord continues to renew our hearts and minds that we can see him rightfully enthroned in holiness in his rightful place on our hearts. 
Holy, 
Would you pray with me? Father, as we sing these words, it draws our hearts and our minds back to Isaiah's vision that you gave him of your throne room. And how as he stood there before you, seeing you, Father, in all of your glory and your holiness and your majesty, reminded that he was undone. That as he saw you as you are, he saw how unworthy he was. And yet, God, what you remind us of in that is Adam shared with us before we sang this song this morning, before we sang this morning, that like, you see us as your children. With all of our sin, with all of our shortcomings and all the ways that we fail you, you, the God of the universe who sits enthroned over all things, who we have rebelled against, you love us and gave your son for us. And God, that is what draws our hearts to this place of worship, of recognizing just how unworthy we are and how deeply loved we are. And so, Father, we can't help but give you all of our heart because you have given all of yourself for us. Lord, as we come to this time of offering this morning, it is again another tangible worship expression for us to turn and to say, God, because of all that you have done for me, I want to be a part of what you are doing. I want to take what you have blessed me with, what you have given to me, the one who is overall and owns everything, you have blessed me, and I want to be a part of what you're doing with, so other people would know your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, so we come to this time of offering this morning, not out of compulsion or because we have to or we feel some obligation, but we truly come in worship as a way to say, God, we want our priorities to be your priorities. And we want you to take what we bring as an offering and multiply it so that more people will know your son. So use it and be glorified as we give back to you this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And if, you have the, uh, if you're on the center aisle, if you can grab our offering buckets and pass those out to the side, let's continue in a spirit of worship as we take our offering this morning. get started here uh, before we jump into the word together. Uh, again, if we have not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Rob Zimmerman, lead pastor here at Westgate, and uh, I'm just thankful that you have chosen to worship with us today, especially if you're a, a guest with us, it's your first time or you've been here a handful of times, just thank you. I hope that you'll find uh, this church a warm, wonderful family in place uh, to grow closer to the Lord uh, and grow closer with other people as we uh, seek to follow.
follow him together. Uh, I want to address actually those of you who maybe are new today or new in the past few weeks, months. And let's be honest again, if you have never come to one of our new people parties, I'm addressing you as well. So maybe you've been here for 50 years and you never have come, come join us. We're, uh, we're going to be having a new people party today following our second service. Uh, it's an opportunity. Uh, we as a staff, myself especially, would love the opportunity to meet you, get to know you, and, and just answer any questions you ha- might have about how to get connected here at Westgate, let you learn a little bit about our staff personally. And we're going to do that over a pizza and salad lunch and what we call our classy water, I guess. That's what our staff calls it. It's that water with all the little fruit in it, whatever. Anyway, uh, we're going to have a, a wonderful time following the service. And so if you have not registered, that is okay. We would love for you to still come. It's going to be taking place in the refinery, which is our smaller auditorium. If you head out that way, when you leave the service across the atrium, you'll see those words. It'll lead you into there. And uh, we'll be hanging out, having lunch together for about an hour and getting to know one another. So we would love to invite you to come and join us uh, today after the service. Um, now, if you uh, are new and haven't been with us over the last few weeks, we have been in a, uh, a new series entitled Uprooted. And if you were to dial back uh, a couple of months, we were actually in our five-year vision series at the beginning of September, uh, our five-year vision entitled Deep Roots and Broad Reach. And when we talk about having deep roots here at Westgate, we're talking about how we are called by God to grow deeper in our relationship with him. Our deepest desire is to be in his his word and to know him and to be yielding more and more of our hearts to him. And we do that best uh, as we seek him in his word, we seek him personally in prayer, but also as we sink ourselves into deeper roots within the community that God has given us here. But when we talk about growing deeper roots in Christ, uh, one of the things that we acknowledge is that as we're seeking that, we also need to recognize that there are some things in our lives that also need to be uprooted if we're going to be all that Christ has designed for us to be. And so as we've gone through this series, we've kind of carried this theme that there are at times small things in our lives, like small little weeds or roots that can become huge problems if we allow them to grow. And those are things that we want to uproot. We've talked about uprooting spiritual apathy. We've talked about uprooting idols and idolatry in our life. Last week, even as we were baptizing 15 people, we we talked about uh, uprooting from our lives our reliance on human saviors. But this week as we jump in, we're going to be talking about uprooting greed. Now, when we talk about greed, uh, that's not something, greed is not something that I have found necessarily needs to be taught to us. From the time that we're young, especially as toddlers, you might agree with me, especially if you have a toddler uh, or remember back to when you were one, from about the time we can think that something is ours, we, we find that greed is an innate thing within us. Would you agree with me? The one word that often I think comes out of a young child's mouth so quickly is what? Mine. It's somebody has the toy that I want. No, wait, that's mine. I want to keep it for myself, right? Uh, from the time that we're young, we see that, that sin is alive and well in our hearts. It doesn't need to be taught to us. I see this in my own home over the last couple of weeks as we've gone through Halloween. Maybe you've witnessed this as well. Now, at Halloween, we, we've always for years let our kids, they'll go out, they'll go trick-or-treating. And uh, oftentimes, I said in the first service, they take super cases. That's not true. I meant pillowcases. Um, we're not, 
we're not that family, I promise. <laughs> Although I have this picture in my mind, I'm like, we should try that next year. It'd be kind of fun. Um, anyway, uh, our kids will go out with these big old pillowcases and they'll come back loaded with candy and then they'll get home and they'll spread it out on the floor and look at what's good and what's not. And we'll give them these buckets and they throw it in. And what is it? It's my bucket, right? They've all got their stash. Now, does anybody else, any other parents in the room that follow the rules we do in our house, which when your kids go trick-or-treating, there is a parent tax that must be collected. Anybody here believe in the parent tax, right? (laughs) Praise God for the parent tax. (laughs) Let them do all the work, enjoy the spoils, right? So, uh, we, there's a parent tax, but inevitably, you know, you walk up to one of your kid's buckets and even before you can like lay your eye on something, they're like, that's mine, get away, right? They don't want to share it. The, forget the fact that they've got more than enough candy to last for two years, but they're going to try to eat it in two days, right? But don't, don't you dare touch a piece of my candy. This spirit of greed is alive in us from the time we're young. And to be honest with you, when we look in our world today, even as an adult, you know, these are trivial things. We see that greed can be so alive in our hearts. We live in a culture today in America that breeds greed, and we're going to talk about this a little bit. But I think the important reason that we talk about this this morning is because I believe that greed is one of the most destructive forces in our relationship with Christ. And I hope that as we dive into the scriptures this morning that you will see that. Whenever a pastor gets up to talk about greed, people are like, all right, here comes the money sermon. And I want you to catch this this morning. That is a part of it, but there is much more to it. But the bottom line is how greed destroys our relationship with Christ. And I want you to see that in the passage this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking together in Luke chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me to Luke chapter 12, verse 13. I'll be using the NIV this morning. It'll be up on the screen uh, as well if you didn't bring your Bible. Luke chapter 12. And here in this passage, Jesus is going to have an encounter with, with uh, a young man who has a brother that he is upset with over his inheritance, and he's going to tackle this issue of greed. So let's take a look at it together. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 15 it says this, someone in the crowd said to him, him being Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to him, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. As we encounter Jesus in this passage, let's just look at the context for a moment. Jesus is uh, teaching in a large crowd. If you look at the beginning of chapter 12, uh, it appears that maybe even this is a crowd of about a thousand people, and he's sitting there and he's, he's teaching, and in the middle of this, someone yells out from the crowd, teacher or rabbi, speaking to Jesus, and he says, tell my brother to give, divide the inheritance with me. Now, a couple things to note here. It was not uncommon for social disputes to actually be brought to a rabbi or a teacher in order to help them be settled. And the dispute that is brought here specifically deals with an argument over inheritance. In Jewish culture, the older brother would often receive a double portion of the inheritance, or the older sibling, I should say, while the rest of the siblings would get a single portion of that inheritance. And what likely is happening here, it seems, is that potentially what you have is a younger sibling who is unhappy 
unhappy with the division of the inheritance. And in his heart, he wants more. And so he comes to Jesus as a rabbi or teacher and says, I would like for you to solve this issue and get to the bottom of it so that I can get more for myself. Now, it appears that all of this is happening as Jesus is in the middle of teaching a very large crowd. The guy yells out, Jesus, I want more inheritance. Can you please help me get it? Now, I was thinking about this this week as I was reading the passage and studying. It's literally like when you're in the middle of an important phone call at home and the kids walk up to you and what do they do? Mommy, 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 daddy, 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 right? And they won't leave you alone and they keep talking until they can get your attention. And then when you finally give them your attention, what do they say? Brother's being mean to me. And you're like, really? The world stops for this. Or they're tugging on your arm and their only question is, what time is dinner? And you're, you're like, oh, man children. They don't, they don't always understand the importance of the moment. And it seems that as Jesus is teaching here, that this man is kind of oblivious to the moment because his issue is the most important thing. And so he calls out in the middle of this to Jesus, completely oblivious. And he says, help me get more. And I love Jesus's response to this man. Jesus's response kind of cuts straight to the point. Who appointed me judge between the two of you, right? I mean, now it would have been common for a rabbi to potentially settle these things, but Jesus' point kind of jumps, and it might come across a little bit harsh at first when we read it, like, really, is that how Jesus is going to respond? But what is happening here, and I want you to catch it, is that Jesus is seeing past the surface issue. He's not just looking at the surface social issue that has been brought to him. You see, the surface issue is a social problem, the inheritance. But Jesus looks right past that issue to the real issue. And the real issue isn't about social matters. The real issue is spiritual. And it resides in this man's heart. And this is what I love about Jesus. What I love about Jesus is that he never gets distracted by the symptoms of the real problem but he dives straight into the very heart of the matter, into the disease that exists in our hearts. And what does Jesus say to this man? Watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He looks right past this man's dispute and peers directly into his heart. And you see, This isn't an issue of fair or unfair, but it's an issue of greed. A man who wanted more and more and more for himself. As we approach this passage this morning and this encounter that Jesus has, and as Jesus is going to use this moment to speak directly into this man's life, I believe he wants to speak directly into our hearts. Because I believe if we're honest, each of us, you, me, in different times, in different ways, We wrestle with greed. Greed is something that very easily slides into our heart and then separates us in our relationship with God. So if we're going to tackle tackle this together, the first question we have to answer is, well, what then is greed? Letter A in your notes, if you're following along and filling in with me, when we think about greed, we most commonly think of greed in terms of money 
and possessions. This is the most common way we think about it. When you look in our culture and even how our culture defines and thinks about greed, it is almost always connected to possessions and money. You might think of how it's portrayed in movies. You know, uh, a movie like The uh, the Wolf of Wall Street where uh, Leonardo DiCaprio uh, depicts uh, a guy by the name of Jordan Belfort who was on Wall Street and did all sorts of horrible evil things in order to get financial gain for himself at the expense of other people, full of a heart of greed. You might, as we approach the Christmas season, think about how this is portrayed in the movie A Christmas Carol with uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, who who uh, was definitely didn't care about the needs and well-being of others, but really cared mostly about himself. You might think of a movie like The Grinch, who wants to steal Christmas and ruin it for everybody else. You know, our culture, when we think of greed, thinks of it in terms of money and possessions, but maybe that shouldn't be surprising to us. Statistics actually show that according to worldwide studies on greed, America is considered to be the greatest, or I'm sorry, not the greatest, the greediest nation in the world. We live in a culture today in America that glamorizes excess. We are built on what is called the American dream. The idea that you can have whatever you want in America or the more that you have, the happier and more fulfilled of a life you will be, you will have. Every commercial Every advertisement, every billboard is focused on messages that are being fed into us on a daily basis, telling us that the more money and the more material things that you can collect for yourself, the better off you will be. And this constant inundation of this messaging truly creates within us a monster that at times we don't even see because it has become normalized. I didn't realize how true this was in my own life until back in 2004, I took a group of students to Cambodia for the very first time. I took 11 students with me, and Cambodia is considered to be one of the poorest nations in the world, literally one of the poorest. About one-third of all people in Cambodia live on less than $1 a day. Think about that. I can remember at one point going out into a remote village and being struck by the incredible poverty that I saw. There were families of 10 people living in these rundown shacks that were just surrounded by nothing but rice paddies where you had the potential to get all sorts of diseases. Their clothes were disheveled and dirty and old. There was no running water anywhere you went. And in such a hot climate, no comfort when it came to air, air conditioning. They would eat rice three times a day because it was what they could afford. I ate rice for two weeks and did every single meal and then did not eat it for two years. I was so tired of it. And yet, while I couldn't imagine living this way, I was struck by how happy these people were. And there was this conflict that was happening inside of me. You look at this picture Somebody was like, were you 12 in that picture? (laughs) Man, I was about 27. But, and I especially love that kid in the yellow shirt. Looks like he's about to throw up a gang sign. He's like my favorite kid. He was my homie. Uh, We had a good time together. But these kids, this was an orphanage out in the countryside where these kids had no parents. They had nothing that was theirs. They lived in abject poverty and only on what good, gracious people could give them. And yet their hearts and their lives were so full of joy. There was this conflict at war inside of my heart. 
Because I couldn't be, imagine being happy without my comforts, but these people were. You know, what we often don't realize is just how affected by greed we really are until we find ourselves in a different setting and situation. You know, when we think of greed, though, we think of it often in terms of money and possessions. But as we continue reading this passage together, letter B, Jesus tells us that there are many more forms of greed. What does he say here? He says, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Jesus tells us there are many forms of greed. Greed affects all types of choices that we make every single day. We have this hunger and desire for more money, for more possessions, for more experiences, for more power, for more fame, for more influence. But it's not just about obtaining more. You see, greed is also about how we keep it for ourselves and don't let others encroach on what we have lest they might rob us of some of what we think is giving us our fulfillment. Think about this. Greed affects how we use our money and our possessions. There was a study done recently at Cal Berkeley in California that showed that actually the wealthiest people in the world typically are the ones that give far less than poorer people on a percentage basis. There is something about the accumulation of wealth that causes people to either want to hold on to it or just simply to spend it on themselves. And in true terms of generosity, it is those who have less that are seemingly more generous in our world at large. But what about in the church? Statistics show in the church that only 5% of of churchgoers in the U.S. support gospel work with a tithe. Only 5%. Now, you might hear a number like this that says in the U.S. there are 1.5 million people who tithe. And you go, man, that's awesome. Until you recognize that that's 1.5 million out of 247 million people. Do you realize that if every Christian in the church were to view what God has given them differently and to recognize that God is calling them to be a part of what he is doing in the world, that if every Christian were to tithe, there would be an extra $139 billion each year for gospel ministry worldwide. That's staggering. Now, I'm not doing this to lay a guilt trip, but I want you to catch something that I think is incredibly important. The importance of thinking about these statistics is this is that they are revealing as we draw our attention to a constant warning that is all throughout Scripture. It often surprises Christians when they discover just how much the Bible actually talks about money. There are over 2,300 verses on money, wealth, and possessions in the Bible. Jesus, in his earthly teaching ministry, this, he covered this topic of money in roughly 15% of all of his teaching and preaching. 11 of his 39 parables touch on it. It was his most talked about topic. But it's not because Jesus was just trying to get something out of us or out of his disciples or the people that were around him. It was because he knew that the allure to money would draw people away from him and draw people away from his purposes for their life. You see, Greed affects how we use or spend our money or our possessions, but it also can affect how we use or spend our time. Greed completely affects whether or not we will give our time to certain things. 
It affects, at times, our church attendance as Christians. Do I have a better offer, something better to do than gathering to worship with the family? It affects whether or not we will engage in community with other believers and prioritize what God says is essential for our growth in him. Greed affects whether or not we will seek to understand our giftedness and give our time to serve the Lord in our churches or in our community. But you see, it also affects whether or not we will go out of our way to care for other people who are in need. This is a hard reality in the church today that I believe we actually need to wrestle deeply with, is that we often don't want to be bothered with caring for the needs of others because of how it encroaches on the things that we want for ourselves. Where we should find joy in ministering to the needs of others in the name of Christ, we find ourselves bothered or annoyed by people or situations that seemingly get in the way of our own pursuit of happiness. Greed causes us to pursue self over the needs of others. And it runs in direct opposition to how Christ modeled and has called us to live. Think of the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 2 when he says this. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus has perfectly modeled this life of humility and others-centeredness that is devoid of greed. It tells us that the God of heaven, who sits enthroned, as we sang about this morning, emptied himself to become one of his creation so that he could be put to death to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. He gave everything with no greed and no desire for what he might actually lose in the process because he knew that the greatest thing was doing this for us and for us to find him in a right relationship with him. You see, greed is about wanting more, but greed is also about the selfish desire that creeps into our hearts to want to keep everything for ourselves. And because of this, as we define greed, let her see, what we find is that greed is an insatiable desire for more, unquenchable, a hunger that lives and breathes within us. But it's also a selfish desire of desiring to keep those things for oneself. It's an insatiable desire for more and a selfish desire to keep it for oneself. But what I want you to see is if we allow ourselves to dig below the surface, even of this definition, as Jesus is going to do, what you will actually see is this, letter D, that greed is a spiritual disease of the heart. It is not just a surface issue of, hey, 
you know, I, I have this longing for too much stuff and I don't like to share it, so maybe I just need to share a little bit more. It's not a surface issue. It is a spiritual disease of the heart, and this is the important part, that seeks to find contentment in things rather than the Lord. That is what greed is at its core. It's this spiritual disease in our hearts that seeks to find contentment in things rather than the Lord. Listen again to what Jesus says to to this man, his warning. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds, every kind of greed. Why? For life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, I want you to think about how we typically read this. When you read that statement, it's up here on the screen. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. We read this and we think to ourselves that the main point of this is essentially that our life, as we live it, and however many years we have, We need to make sure that it's not just about me and what I can get for myself. And that's kind of how we define it. I need to be a good person. I need to be a little bit more loving, giving of what I have so that others can can have a little too. But if if we interpret this passage this way, we have actually missed the entire point of what Jesus is saying and the entire point of the passage. And here's the deal. If you don't dig into this Greek word for life, you miss the whole point. You see, uh, in the Greek language, there were often, like where we have one word in a translation, they often had three words to cover the full range of meaning of one specific word, like love. We say we love uh, our spouse, we love our children, and we also say we love apple pie or, or some or candy at Halloween, whatever it may be, right? Those are very different forms of love. The Greeks would have had many different words to describe different levels of love. Well, in this instance, there were a couple different words that the Greeks would use to, to talk about what they meant when it came to the word life. And here, Jesus says that life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. How we normally translate this is we think that it's the Greek word bios, which has its founding in the word biology. In other words, existence or biological life or how long you live or what you accumulate in the time that you live. But that's not the word that's used. The Greek word is the word zoe. And the word zoe is not talking about the time that you live on this earth in this physical body. It's always talking about the abundant life in Christ. Write that down. It is talking about the abundant life in Christ, the life that we have always been meant to have from the very beginning of the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve, before sin, was in the picture, were in a perfect relationship with God. It is that life that we were always meant to have where God is providing everything for us and fulfilling our every need and desire to its completion, the abundant life. And that abundant life, even though sin has come into the world, is something that the Bible says we can experience here and now today through Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus is saying here, is that life does not consist in abundance of possession. Correctly said, the abundant life in Christ that God has designed for you does not find its fulfillment in the things that you accumulate in this world. What does Jesus reveal? At its very core, contrary to popular belief, he who dies with the most toys does not win. He merely dies. And if he doesn't have Christ, he dies with nothing. You can't take a thing with you. All of these things that the world says is going to give you great fulfillment, 
it is gone tomorrow at the moment of death. And what greed does is it exchanges the abundant life in Christ for a cheap imitation that will never bring the fulfillment that we would desire. We will always find ourselves hungering for more at other people's expense until we understand that our fulfillment is not found in the things of this world, but it is found in Christ and Christ alone. And so why is greed so deadly to our rootedness in Christ? A couple of things. Letter A, it clouds our understanding of where prosperity comes from. And we need to understand this as followers of Christ. Greed is deadly to our rootedness in Christ because it clouds our understanding of where prosperity comes from. Luke chapter 12, 16, Jesus begins to tell a parable to emphasize this point that he has just made. And he says, he told them this parable, the ground uh, of a certain rich man yielded in an abundant harvest. Now, I want you to notice something here. This opening line is essential for us to understand the depth of truth that is going to be in this parable that Jesus is about to tell. Notice, when we read this, we typically read this. There is a man, he has worked hard, and because he has worked hard, he has gotten rich. And it, this is typically how we view our own wealth. If I go out and I work hard, I receive money, and because I've worked hard, I get money for myself to spend on my own desires and the things that I need for, for life in this world. But here's the deal. What we fail to realize is that the rich man isn't the subject of this sentence. Read it again. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. The man isn't the subject. The ground is. That's an interesting point because the prosperity of the rich man isn't his doing. It's the consequence of the productivity of the land, something that is largely out of his control. In other words, his prosperity derives from a source other than himself. And this is why greed is deadly. Greed is deadly to our relationship with God because it believes that God is not involved in the equation of prosperity. And when I see what I have as mine and something that I have achieved on my own, my priorities will always supersede the Lord's. It clouds our understanding of where prosperity comes from, but it's also deadly because it leads to letter B, that it makes me the center of my universe. Literally, everything that I do and everything that I have is about me and what it can do for me. And look at how Jesus describes this in a very intense way as he continues in the parable. It says, he told in this parable, the ground of a rich man will yield in an abundant harvest, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take, uh, take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Can, can we pause for a minute? As we read that, what stands out to you the most as we read the words of this man in the parable? Anything? Does anything pop out at you as you look at it on the pages? It's all about himself. Have you noticed that 20% of the words that he uses in this statement are first person singular pronouns? He thought to himself, what shall I do? 
I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, my barns, and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. 20% of the words are first person singular pronouns. He has become the center of his own universe because of the greed that is inside of his heart. And what this does, letter C, is that greed removes God from the equation of our lives. And I want you to see this. In Luke chapter 12, verse 20 through 21, Jesus continues and says, but God said to this man, you fool. You have all this stuff but you fool, because this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. You fool. You have believed that you can provide everything you need to be satisfied in this life. And ultimately what you've done is you have exchanged the abundant life for a life that will pass away and fail you. The foolishness of this man in the passage, in the parable, is his oblivion toward God. He neither acknowledges God's blessing nor sees God's or seeks God's purposes. Rather, what he does is he gathers himself to himself, he serves only himself. And in this, as many commentators have stated, he is a practical atheist. He might not say, I don't believe in God. He might actually profess to believe in God, but practically speaking in the way that he is living his life, he is living it without God in the equation. And this folly will lead him to incredible ruin and emptiness. Greed removes God from the equation of our lives. And this is the bottom line point that Jesus is trying to make with this man as he moves past the surface issue and peers into his heart and wants him to understand this deep spiritual truth. Is that while you try to seek fulfillment and happiness in this world, it will always fail you. Only God can truly satisfy your appetite for more. Only him. Nothing in this world will ever do that. Counterfeit fulfillment will never satisfy as only God can. And so how does a life that is rooted in Christ help us to uproot greed? If you were to fast forward through this passage, you know, Jesus continues, and we'll look at it in just a minute, but Jesus continues after this encounter with this man as he's speaking with the crowd and his disciples as well. He, he, if you track all the way down, he, he continues on the same topic, but at the very end of this chapter, he says these words in Luke 12, 34. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is the very crux of what Jesus is trying to help us to see. If my heart, is set on finding fulfillment in the things of this world. And if I think that more and more excess is what's going to fulfill me, I will find myself ultimately separated from him because that is where my heart's value will be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are you looking for fulfillment in, in, in this life? 
Are you looking for that completeness, that security, that hope, that joy? It can only truly be found in Christ. And if he is your treasure, the most important one in your life, you will find it. How does the life rooted in Christ help us to uproot greed? Letter A, it recognizes God is the owner of all that we possess. And this is a big deal for us to understand. Here's the deal. God is the one that is in control of all things. As we sang this morning, he is the one that is enthroned in heaven. There is nothing in this life and in this world that he has not created and that he is not in control of. He controls it all. That also means, as scripture tells us, that every good and perfect gift that we have comes from him. That God is the one that pours and showers blessing into our life. He is the one that provides and meets all of our needs. In other words, we need to come to this place as we are rooting ourselves in Christ to recognize that God is the owner of everything that we possess. That it is something that he has given to us. And letter B, what that does is it helps clarify our role as stewards. As we see who God is, it helps us to understand who we are that we are to be the ones that take what God has given and that we steward it well. Literally, that we are not owners to do as we please for ourselves, but managers of what he has given. And let us see what this does is it then shapes our desires after his priorities. And this is probably the hardest thing in the Christian life, but one of the most important things when it comes to this that when we recognize God as the owner and that he has called on us to be stewards, we need to allow our hearts to be shaped because we love God so much that our desire isn't finding fulfillment in ourselves or in the things of this world for ourselves, but we understand and we learn that our greatest fulfillment is found in aligning our hearts to what God desires for us. And when we do that, it changes the way we look at our stuff and our comforts. It changes the way that we look at our finances, our possessions, changes the way we spend our resources. It changes the way that we use our time. It changes our priorities. And in this, as we root ourselves deeper in Christ's letter D, it trusts in God's provision for our needs. As we're rooted in Christ, we grow in trust. And I love this part of the passage here uh, that is directly below us in Luke chapter 12. Let me read it to you. Jesus, having said all of this, has this conversation on the side, it appears, with his disciples and says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll eat or about your body or what you'll wear, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Consider the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Simply, God is in control. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and then thrown into the fire tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? 
and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink and do not worry about it. For that's what the pagan world runs after, all these things. But your father knows that you need them. And so seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Isn't that incredible? He finishes this section where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We can trust and know that God loves us far more than the birds of the air, than the flowers of the field, that we have deep intrinsic value to God and therefore he will provide for our needs. And when we do these things, recognizing God is the owner, understanding our role as stewards and managers, allowing our desires to be shaped by God's priority and trusting his provision, letter E, it enables us to generously live our lives with open hands and a gospel focus. It makes us able to be used by God to impact the lives of others in this world that is pursuing so many other things aside from him. Father, I pray that as we consider these truths this morning, that you would look deeply into our own hearts and help us to do the same with you. In the same way that you move past the surface issue that was taking place with this gentleman that approached you, God, I pray that you would do the same thing. And as you peer into our hearts, help us to have spiritual eyes through your Holy Spirit to see the places where we have allowed greed to take root where our focus, whether it's with our money or our resources or our possessions or our time or whatever it may be, how we will or won't care for others, God, I pray that you would help us to see where greed has taken root and that, God, you would literally pull it out by the root in our hearts. That we wouldn't be those that are seeking our greatest fulfillment in the things of this world, but that, God, because of who you are, and all that you have done for us, we would seek our greatest fulfillment always and only from you. And in that, as you change and you transform our hearts, create within us, God, a pure testimony to this world of just how incredible and awesome and life-fulfilling you are. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Down on my knees again, desperate for you, desperate for you. Find me here, Lord, as you draw me near. I'm desperate for you. Desperate for you, and I surrender. Drench my soul as mercy and
I want to know you 
surrender our hearts to you and father we thank you as we think about who you are and all that you've done for us god it causes us to fall deeply in love with you it brings us to that place where we can truly say these words that we desire to surrender all of our who we are and all of our hearts to you i pray god that uh, you would do that in us this week as we dive into thinking about greed in our own lives God, I pray that you would tenderly, through your spirit, point out areas that, Father, we need to have rooted up. Help us, Father, to move to that place of surrender, of confession before you, maybe confession with other people, and, Father, seeking to align our hearts with you so that, Lord, we would never be those who would allow the greed of this world to take the place of our love for you. Help us to always place you first. And as we do, God, I pray that not only would you change and transform us from the inside out, but that, God, you would use us as your instruments of the good news of your son in this community and throughout the world. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. If there are any prayer needs that you have, uh, Paul and Kathy, who are part of our prayer team, are up here in the front. My right, your left. We would love for you to come forward. And uh, as well, if you are new, I would remind you our new people party is happening in the refinery in just a few minutes. Would love to invite you to come and join us. And lastly, church family, go out and serve the Lord with all your heart this week. Look for opportunities. Share the good news of his son. God bless you. Have a great week serving him.